Hello, everyone. Welcome to the third edition of the EdNav podcast. As you know, EdNav stands for Everyone with a Disability Needs a Voice. Thank you for listening today. I'm excited and honored to have my esteemed guest, Miss Dr. Jackie Desenza. How are you, Miss De- Jackie? I am good today. Thank you for having me on your show. Thank, thank you for being agreeing to be on it, Miss Jackie. You are. Just a kind of blank, very qualified. You are phenomenal. For the folks who don't know, her amazing credentials are she has a Bachelor of Science in Psychology, Physics, and Anthropology from the esteemed Harvard University. She has a law degree from Yale, a PhD in Psychology from Princeton, a Master of Science in Theoretical and Mathematical Physics from Caltech, and she has a Doctor of Education for Post-Secondary Planning from the University of Iowa. And you are also the President of Sarfati Education. So I was wondering, to start and get off the bat, could you please, if you're comfortable, to introduce yourself to the, to the audience and tell them what you and Sarfati have been doing? So, um, Sarfati Education sort of started as a side note to some other work that I did. Um, After uh, achieving my doctorate in education, uh, my focus was really on disability education in the college setting. I had some colleagues who wanted help with finding the right school with the right accommodations for their children that might have had distinctive or different learning uh, patterns. And so I would work with those students, place them in programs, and the practice morphed as these parents had other children that needed services akin to what I offered their older children. We started offering it to more of a wider range of students. And my philosophy and my mission statement for Safati Education has always been that If you want to go to college, we'll find a way. And we do everything from community colleges to the Ivies. We want to find a place where you will be successful both personally and academically. That's wonderful. And you've done so much great work. So many people have been, you've been phenomenal. You've had phenomenal reviews. People have raved about you. And I also want to, speaking of education, that's, perfectly segues into my first question I had you. you you've you been a big advocate for people with disabilities. Sarvati first started out as a education college help for people with disabilities exclusively. So my first question for you, in terms of education and special education, what is one change that you would like to see happen in sector of special education in public schools? It could be a public policy one or a societal one. What is one major change you would like to see happen? I think it, it's It's rather simply, I would like them to provide the mandates that actually appear in a 504 and IEP. What happens is, as you're well aware of, you know, a student goes through a process of evaluation and uh, they have a disability determination and then They have a meeting where the parents and student rights are presented and protected under IDEA. 
Um, there is a also an implementation of placing students in the least restrictive environment, um, and it's it's based on inclusion and and limiting pullout programs, and that students must receive related students services when IEPs or 504 require them. So there's a, there's an official. I would say there's a substantial gap between official policy and implementation. Um, why is that? So, for example, I'll give you a problem I run into often. So schools have what they call a resource room or a help room that students that are identified with disabilities uh, attend as a class or in lieu of a study hall during their day. There is, there is a person who should, not always must, have a special education background, correct? Absolutely. But in the high school setting, you run across a number of students everywhere from students taking the lowest level courses to students taking uh, three or four or five APs or IB courses. So you have a special education teacher in the room who doesn't understand how to reword or reteach some of this information. So what these resource room become is a homework help. They say, here's your homework, do it. They focus more on structure and organization, which yes, is very helpful to certain segments of the students who are identified with the disability, but that's a very small segment. So for students who may have a language processing or a mathematical disorder, it doesn't really help them at all. So there is no uh, official implementation of either federal, state, or school policies. And you know what else is frustrating to me is there's no adequate record-keeping of students' progress in these programs. So you have, you write an EEP or 504, and there are some schools, and I will say it's probably less than 5% of the schools across the United States that do quarterly reviews of the students' progress directly related to their IEP or 504. So not only do they get evaluated on their quarter grades in each class, but it's also their uh, implementation of any accommodations they have either in the classroom or in a resource setting. So that is the one change. I mean, it's a big change and it involves a lot of moving parts, but that's the one change I'd like to see. Do you have any questions? No, that 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 is I that is phenomenal. I, that was very interesting to me the the mandate part. I mean, I, I was I have been familiar with a few of the education specters for people with disabilities, but the mandate part I wasn't as familiar with. So thank you for bringing that up. Uh, for I just want to clarify some. Um, sorry. So they write it in an IEP or five hundred four, but who is there to guarantee it happens? Yeah. And that's a main issue for me too, right? It's the guidelines are there, that, but it's not so much the issue that the guidelines are not there. It's the issue that the guidelines are not being enforced adequately for people with disabilities. And There's no implementation of those guidelines. 
Absolutely. And for people who don't know, I just want to clarify some terminology. So the IDEA is the Individual Individual with Disabilities Education Act. It was passed in 1990. And just to put like a basic header on what it is, it basically mandates that in public education, there has to be some sort of, there have to be accommodations, mandatory accommodations for people with disabilities, such as if a, per, if a student is deaf, they have to be they they have to have accommodations such as maybe a hearing aid or a translator for for written or braille. Uh, that's like the simplified version. And an IEP and a 504 plan, if I'm not mistaken, I have a 504 plan, and the 504 plan and IEP are very similar, except IEP is a little bit more government mandated. Meaning, I feel like it, the the repercussions of not following an IEP is 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 a lot more harsher because it's through the government. So you can, so if a teacher does not follow it, they could face government penalty. And that's why a, a, a good number of districts, I would say a majority of them, convince families to fall under the 504 umbrella. Absolutely. I mean, that's the reason why I got the 504 into the IEP because if I had gone the IEP route, it would have taken so long that by the time I got in there, I may have been, it may have been, not worth it at that point. So that's why 504 was the Can way. Can I give you some statistics? Absolutely. In 2019, the National Assessment of Educational Progress reported that only 8% of 8th graders with, dis with disabilities were proficient at state level in reading and math. Only 8%. For 12th grade students, only 12% were proficient in reading, and only 6% were proficient in math, meaning doing reading or math at a state level. And at 12th grade, that math level is rather low. Yep. Considering that the majority of students with disabilities are identified by the fourth grade, and receive special education services for years by the time they reach eighth grades, these results are not acceptable. They're they're not. They're not. They're not being enforced properly and they are not. And that leads me into the second question. This is kind of pertaining to the first question, but a different topic is instead of schools, what is one immediate change that you would like to see happen for accessibility for people with disabilities in the workforce and this is specifically for government policies like are there certain government policies that you would like to be implemented for people with disabilities in the workplace well i think there's a number in the workplace it's a little different absolutely um, what i i call it sort of the visible invisible disability in a way yep. is that Although most places, do you know that in recent studies, I think the last one was 2018, almost 11% of the world's population, we're talking 655 million people, live with some kind of disability. Of those, there is over 40% of them in K through 12. Yes, a good number of them are 65 or over. What cognitive disabilities, yeah. but there are also anyone from birth to the older individuals that need some kind of special assistance. And I think that for accessibility, it's actually not talking about it, 
it's actually doing it. One of the things that um, is as important as what we call accessible technology, digital technology, the tools, the systems, that the devices that you and I use to work, communicate, manage our everyday lives has made most of our lives comfortable. Well, those with a disability need a different type of digital technology. Digital technology in essence, is supposed to blur the lines of race, gender, age, and ability, but technology has to do more to become truly inclusive, too. Consider the issue of accessible technology for those with disability. Yep. Um, let's say that, that we have known that nearly 5% of students K through 12 have, are blind or have a severe visual impairment. Almost 6% are deaf or have severe hearing impairment. Others have difficulty with speech, but mobility, cognitive, mental disabilities, or difficulties with self-care in everyday living. Yep. So the, the Americans with Disability Act focuses on improving accessibilities with these people, individuals, while integrating that technology accessibility into IT is a legal requirement, but more importantly, providing equal access for people with disabilities is the right thing to do. Yeah. And with millions around the world still under stay-at-home orders in response to COVID-19, Ensuring those with disabilities have equal access to technologies that help us work and communicate is imperative, right? Absolutely. So I think that one of the biggest changes I'd like to see for accessibility is to really have compliance with accessibility technology laws. I don't think that according to U.S. Department of Justice, only 22% are compliant, but there's nothing done about it. They're cited, and then they move on, and a year later, they're cited again. That... There are people that work in buildings that don't have elevators. You know, um, and, and you have to look at the business benefits of technology accessibility. Those organizations that maximize accessibility also have a lot to gain. Building products with technology accessibility gives businesses access to larger markets and a larger applicant pool. For example, the spending power of working age people with disabilities in the U.S. alone is $490 billion. So, and Additionally, employees with disability are more productive when they can access technology that allows them to excel. So by implementing accessible technology, we can help them, corporations, retain talent, strengthen the bottom line, and enhance an organization or business's public image. Remember, social media is always watching. Absolutely, absolutely, and that that is fascinating. And I I love how you mentioned COVID nineteen because that segued into because for me when I was looking at disabilities, COVID nineteen. If you look at it, 
obviously from an outside viewing point it was bad because it was a disease I mean, it was a medical pandemic but if you look at it for people with disabilities on one hand i heard the perspective that it was great for people with disabilities on the other hand it was bad and from the part that i heard it was good was i was reading articles i've been reading articles about how people with disabilities because it was virtual and this affected more people with physical disabilities than mental disabilities I felt like there was a correlation there with people who had who was in wheelchair. Because if an individual was in a wheelchair, in a physical learning, it makes a huge difference. But if you're in a wheelchair and you're doing online education, it makes absolute, basically no difference at all because you're sitting anyway. You're not moving from class to class because everything is virtual. And, I'll, and that could also be for, for, physical disa- for physical disabilities. Now, one mental health capacity that I... I feel like I can speak on this and I have also read articles on this as well, where a lot of people with disabilities, it's already a very isolating feeling. You know, you're not, you you never feel like you're a part of a group. You never feel like you're close to someone. And I feel like that a little bit too as a stroke survivor, right? Because I don't really have anyone I can talk to about my experiences. I mean, obviously there are people with this, there are people who've had a stroke, there are people who've had a stroke, and it's a very common. But me talking to someone older, it's it's. I don't feel like the similar as talking to someone who's had it my. Age. So it, that's already a very isolating feeling. And the COVID, as you all know, we're all it's increasingly more isolated. So everyone's already feeling isolation, mental health impacts of COVID nineteen. Plus, having a disability can can lead to serious problems. So my. My next question for you is, how do you think COVID-19 has impacted the mental health of people with disabilities in education or adults in general? There's, there's a number of different ways. First of all, I think it's impacted, especially in the educational system, almost all students K through 12. Absolutely. Um, you know, think about trying to teach a kindergarten class through Zoom. Oh, yeah, no, no. Right? And what about students who have um, a reading disorder, dyslexia, or uh, some other type of uh, reading or processing disorder where they might need a reader? They're home in front of a computer. Who is going to provide that access for them? Who is going to be the reader for them? Yeah. In school, they might, some students in school, have a full-time assistant that helps them get to class to class or uh, helps them with notes. In a Zoom meeting, you can't do that unless the teacher later decides to provide them notes. So mental health for people with disabilities, one of the biggest problems, I think, for people with disabilities is they know they're different, they feel different, and they're... um, there's, of course, what we call disability prejudice. Absolutely, so, absolutely. You know, the kids in school try to teach you, treat you the same, but you know they're different, they know you're different, but still, you're in school every day, and you have friends, mm-hmm. and it strengthens your community. It strengthens your personal culture. It strengthens your disability culture. So being at home and having a disability, they didn't have access to the support that they needed. 
um, in, in terms of accommodations. They also, I, I spoke to a good number of my students who have an IEP or a 504, didn't have a, a, a large social group, felt really isolated and alone. And some of the, some of the benefits of being in a school were gone. There was no way to uh, relieve the stresses. You know, a learning disability, for example, means that your disability comes into the sharpest focus when you're in a learning environment. So there was no counter to that. They didn't have an ability to just hang out with their friends or go get an ice cream or just get together and watch a movie. Those were all things that were taken away from teenagers, especially during COVID. And, the, and disabilities also covers psychological disabilities such as anxiety and depression. And those students who suffered from that actually bear, bear the brunt of the social distancing and the COVID restrictions. I, uh, there was a study just done recently that students with anxiety uh, were having some of the worst periods of their life during COVID. Some of their uh, worst uh, coping techniques were not working. Um, and they were scared. I mean, uh, the, the depression, some students already suffered from depression school or their social group was a little bit of a break from that. They didn't have that again. Suicides among oh, yeah, high school yeah. students were up 13% during COVID. And I'm not... Suicides. And I'm not surprised by that. Sorry for cutting you off. And, you know, you have to understand there are different family structures too. So for yep. some students... Going to school, even with a disability, is a relief because they are ridiculed or misunderstood at home, where yeah. at least at school, their teachers and the administration understands their disability and tries to work with them. And they may come from families or extended families or communities that treat them as an outcast. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the su the depression and suicide rate, while it's 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 while it's sad and it's and it's horrible, it's not unsurprising. You can't say it's unsurprising because of COVID nineteen. And I think that's great segue into what because technology is a bridge for the future. And in terms of education, is there one part of, is there one technological advancement you would like to see happen for K through 12 education? If there, if you had to choose one. Hmm. That's a good question. Um, let me think about, you know, I think that there is a lot of assistive technology for individuals with, with disabilities. The problem is we don't 
have access to them. And uh, for example, um, digital information can easily be converted into voice, text, or even physical patterns for those with visual impairments. Um, there are ways that you can take assistive technology to improve a disabled person's functional capabilities. Um, I don't think there's any one thing that I would like to see. Okay. But I also think, you know, um, I would like to see more implication of a number of different devices. Do you know what a VOCA is? No. A voice output communication aid? No. I think I'm an idea what it is. Um, for example, students that are diagnosed with autism often lack verbal communication skills and rely on nonverbal communication, such as pointing or leading. Unfortunately, uh, they're not always considered appropriate. They don't work as well in the yep. learning environment. So there is this technology that is voice output communication where it's a handheld electronical device that produces pre-recorded audio messages at the press of a button. That's and so it relieves the frustration that a non-verbal student can have. Does anyone in your school have that? I'm sure they are kids who have that. I'm not, I don't personally know anyone, but. It also, you know, technology can also provide opportunities for social interaction. Oh, absolutely. Some, something that students often miss out on. Um, absolutely. You know, like, for example, there were many students who didn't have access to high-speed internet connections, or there isn't, have you thought about students in the hospital? getting yeah. treatment in a yeah. hospital setting and not having the bandwidth to participate in their classes. Or students that have a physical disability and they need a robotic hand to get attention or they need a different type of telepresence in the classroom. There's so much that isn't being done in assistive technology. The, the devices are there. But unfortunately, school districts are ruled by budget. And when you're servicing students with disabilities, they tend to focus on the least expensive means to achieve the least expensive outcome. So we talk about the, the you know, educational outcomes, IEPs, and 504s talk about outcomes, and you will notice that the wording has really been, in the last few years, has really been weakened to present the least outcome rather than the best outcome for each student. You can tell I'm passionate about it because I really do think that students with disability get the short end of the stick in school districts. And Honestly, I don't care if it's public or private. Private school district or private schools are ruled by the school district of the student's home district too. So there's sometimes their hands are tied on what they can present. There are even some private schools that don't give the students 
the even the minimal requirements that is required by their home school district. Absolutely. And and obviously we Did that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, it, it definitely did. And I always felt that we the, the people with disabilities always got the short end of the stick in terms of obviously physically but also mentally too, right? Because you, you never, because you don't, everyone's told you have an equal opportunity, but if you're a person with a disability, how can you really feel that, right? So whenever you go out and try to do something where that uh, able-bodied person is doing, you, you, you can't just say that, hey, you know, I'm, I'm just sticking with a person. You can't be saying that. So you have to have an extra added amount of mental strength to do it, right? And I think the best, for me, the best, quote for people with disabilities is, I don't know if you ever heard the quote, say you work is twice as hard just to get half as done. And, and it happens to a lot of students with disabilities where they, are, they have friends that do minimal work and get high grades, and these students are putting in three or four times the work. They're getting good grades too, but it can be frustrating yeah, and tough absolutely. Grade. And eventually lead to some mental health problems as well. Absolutely. You know, and it goes back to educators, general educators, special educators have a joint responsibility to ensure that students with special needs receive the appropriate education, not only on paper, but in fact. And whether it could be, for example, there are some IEPs or 504 that call for counseling. So they go to see um, a school counselor, not even a psychologist, for 10 minutes a week. How are you doing? Great. Do you have any problems? No. Yeah. And they call that the mandated counseling. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> I mean, I my counselors have been great. I don't want to... They have been phenomenal. They've really helped me. But I'm sure that no one's perfect. They're definitely school systems. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm pretty sure and a lot of school systems in lower end communities do not have that resources. So they are not getting the by by. For me, personally speaking, on personal experience, in the classroom, I, have, I never have, except for typing issues, which is why I have the 504, because typing and fine motor skills, the, that does have affected me. Like when I'm typing an essay, it always feels like it takes me twice as long. But for me, it was more physical when it came to exercise. You know, you always felt that other kids could run a lot faster than me, even though they never, they probably exercise once or twice a week or they could get into more shape. They, they could, they could run faster they could play i always loved playing basketball but a thing that frustrated me was i couldn't use one on the right side so it always felt like these some kids would just i wouldn't have to practice i would practice three four hours and like you said i wouldn't feel good enough even though i was practicing a lot more than some of these kids but they were better than me because they didn't have the disability that i did so i definitely feel that i definitely feel that and you this is and to, just to make one more Final point. I, I just want to quickly go over with. I just wanted to go over with you. The final point is the visible versus invisible disability. So I have a lot to say about that. Okay. It's you know, the, and that's what I mean about the term disability prejudice. Um, 
A person is considered to have a disability if he has difficulty performing certain functions. And it doesn't mean that they have to be in a wheelchair or walker. Absolutely. Of only 1.8 million people identified as disabled use a wheelchair and 5.2 million people use a cane, crutches, or a walker. So that means 74% of Americans who live with a severe disability do not use such devices and have an invisible disability. Right? Yep, absolutely, absolutely. So my thoughts on that are, unfortunately, people often judge others by what they see and Mm. jump to conclusions about what they can or cannot do. This is equally frustrating to those who may appear unable but are personally capable and those who appear able but are not. The bottom line is that everybody with a disability is different, sometimes visibly, sometimes invisibly, and sometimes both. There have been varying challenges and needs as well as abilities and attributes. Therefore, we should all learn to listen with our ears instead of judging others with our eyes and our preconceptions. Learn to envision a world where people living with illness, pain, and disability are no longer invisible, but accepted, and that each one of us practice tolerance. Absolutely. I, that was spoken beautifully. Spoken beautifully, absolutely. I've, I have definitely felt that. I feel like, I don't know, I medically if I'm classified as invisible or visible because I have fine motor skills issues, but I just say from a societal perspective, I am viewed as able-bodied, and until unless you know me really well, or there are certain functions that I cannot do, or it is a little bit more obvious. You, uh, when I when I tell people I've had a stroke, it usually comes as shock, and people were not expecting it. So I I do feel that way. I do feel like for a lot of people with disabilities, as anonymous. I mean, if you look at the handicapped parking, it's a person in a wheelchair. Even though a lot of people who use that are not in a wheelchair. While a lot of people may be in a wheelchair, a lot of people are not. And and it's been and people when you think of a disabled person, I'm pretty sure when most people think of a disabled person, the image is of a person in a wheelchair. I think we have to get rid of the term invisible disabilities. Yep, yep. I you think know, I think that the the word is you know, I have a friend who is 56 years old, has battled 11 types of cancer since the age of 31, including brain cancer. Okay. Um, She's had over 1,100 surgeries and has lived with unbearable pain and fatigue for decades. But if you see her, she looks just like you and I. So we have to get rid of this word invisible. You know, you you also have to look at people with psychological disabilities who end up homeless or in um, in really worse conditions. Um, you know, uh, being treated poorly or taken advantage of. Um, you know, and I think that we have to learn to have compassion, awareness, and support for each of us that suffered disabilities. Absolutely, absolutely. That that concludes my last point I had for you. 
Thank you so much, Ms. Dr. Jackie. You have been phenomenal. Your expertise has been phenomenal for this podcast. You are so passionate about what you do with people with disabilities. You, what you've done for people with college sector and with sovereignty education is beyond amazing. Thank you so much. Is there any last few words you would like to say to the podcast before we close out? I think as a professional, this podcast is something long overdue. People want to tune in and hear real people talking about real issues. And I think that a podcast of this magnitude could be not just for people with disabilities, but for those that also are working with, going to school with, or just living in a community and trying to understand everybody. And I, I think you're doing great thing here, and I am honored to have been part of it. Absolutely. Well, this has been phenomenal. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to the third edition for the Abnet Podcast. I hope whatever time, wherever you are, you are enjoying your circumstance and thinking about the issues pertaining to disability. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. Thank you, Ms. Jackie.